Morning, Northwest. How are you? I don't know why I rubbed my head like this hair there. I don't know why I did that. Um, man, I just, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful and glad to be here, man. Thanks for letting me be here. Um, and uh, I got to party with you guys and, and, and do some shows. And I never take for granted that I get to be up here. At my church, I get to preach once a month, and, and it always feels like the first time. So thank you very much for letting me be with you uh, today. Um, so like Peter said, I go by the name Legend. My real name is actually Nigel. Legend is just Nigel spelled backwards. Whole idea, right? Whole idea is just that uh, God took my life and turned it around completely in Christ. And uh, that's what I wanted to communicate um, so I normally speak about, um, speak to the fatherless being reconnected to the father. I'll tell you my story a little later. But before I go any farther, let me just say this. Let me, let me just say this. This is a, a member of the body of Christ and therefore family with you. I'm profoundly sorry for what you guys are dealing with with April. Um, it's never easy. It's never fun. I lost my father. Uh, I'm just, I'm sorry. The pain stinks. We rejoice in knowing she's receiving the fullness of the reconciliation we all hope for. And we'll experience one day. But it's still hard today. And I just want you to know my heart's with you and I'm praying for you. Uh, I know what it's like and it's tough. And I love you guys. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about today, man, is just we can look at that. And, and, and Pastor Peter said we got a job to do, right? Uh, days like this are hard. And, and even when days like this aren't going on, the question that a lot of people ask me all the time is like, I'm still trying to find my purpose. And I get it. Like gifts, skills, talents, personality profiles, what do we do? Uh, but Jesus made the purpose of all of that, what those things are to serve, abundantly clear. And it is to be ministers of reconciliation, to carry on what he did, uh, that message to others that we can be reconnected to the one we're disconnected from, the source of truth and life and joy. And that's what Christ came to do. So I'd like to read 2 Corinthians 5, uh, uh, a couple verses out of that, tell a couple stories, reconnect to what that means, and I'd like to share a piece with you that I hope will uh, accentuate everything I'm talking about. And again, greetings online. Uh, I know Pastor Peter said hi, but if you're watching somewhere, I'm really glad you're with us. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into 2 Corinthians 5. Cool? Father, we're grateful that we're alive this morning, that we're here, that we have breath in our lungs. We're grateful that, uh, Father God, we get to see you in this life, and then we get to see you in the life to come forever. No matter where we are, we cannot lose. And that's because of what you've done for us, that you would come from there to here to get us to prepare a place for us to come to when we're done here. And I want to thank you that the hope is with us. Father, you see us in our pain. You weeped at Lazarus' tomb. You understand and you feel all this. We were never built for this. You made us for life. And then you brought us and gave life to us in this life and then the one to come. I pray you'd be with this family here as they walk through that. And I pray, God, you would remind us with the days and moments we have that we get to go and share the eternal, the greatest news eternity's ever heard of, that we can be connected to the one of all. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, it'll be on the screen. Uh, for now, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Can I get an amen to that? Not counting men's sins against them. I'm, I'm grateful for that. 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's an that's a honor. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we may in him become the righteousness of God. Is that good news this morning? So I'm going to come back to that in a moment. I just want to talk to you a bit, tell a story or two, and then maybe see how this passage could help us navigate reconciliation. If I had to call this anything, it would just be navigating reconciliation. That's hard to do today because sometimes it really feels like we're living in probably the most divided times any of us have ever seen in our lifetime. Like, it's just really weird. Like, people are just split, divided, angry, uh, fussing all the time. Stuff is just broken, right? Like, you guys work with IJM, yes? So, you know that we see more people in slavery today than at any time in human history. But I thought we were getting better. No, those things are worse in the hands of sinful man. More people in sex and works for slavery than any time in human history. Gender and equality wars at an all-time high. Uh, social media wars, news wars. All you got to do is scroll through Twitter and get depressed at how much people are fighting over stuff. It's amazing what you can say in 140 characters. <laughs> right? It's crazy. Theological wars. Churches and pastors fighting online over some of the stupidest stuff. I probably shouldn't say that. Sorry. Fighting over really not good things. Right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Breaking fellowship over things is not going to keep anybody in or out of heaven. Right? Political wars. We're about to go through this nasty political, I don't care who you vote for, this political season about to end is about to be nasty and people are saying things they'll never be able to take back. Here's the thing, Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, has this book called Counterfeit Gods. He said this, political idolatry is when you glorify or demonize another candidate, right? So if you look at a candidate and you see Savior or Satan, you and I are in sin and need to repent. Moving on. So... <laughs> I'm, not getting, I'm not getting chased out the church today. So we see all this stuff, and all of this can be a little bit daunting. It can feel hopeless, right? It can look like, where's the united in our states? Where's the peace in our world? But this isn't new, though. That's the thing. Like, this isn't new. And this, isn't a, this isn't a just happened thing. We've been here before, right? Malcolm Mugridge is this uh, journalist, very popular journalist, who came to Christ. And he said this. He said, all new news is old news happening to new people. Right? All new news is old news happening to people. We've been here before because people have been here before. These are issues inherent to people. So as long as people are here, we're going to have these issues. Right? It's just, it's just what it is. And this goes against the thought of the inherent goodness of man. There are people who don't want to talk about we need God. So they say, look, we got everything we need within us. A lot of self-help, you can do it. Nothing wrong with some of that stuff. But if you think that's the source of your help, it's a challenge. Uh, there's this, I'm a good person, not that bad, don't need saving don't really need your God. I know right and wrong. It's my life. I'm good on my own. And yet we see all this stuff happening around us, and then that does not add up. Now, what it does line up with is the scripture that says, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked, and for it there is no cure. It does line up with that. Now, why, though, do we have these challenges? I like to tell you two stories. I like to skim over Adam and Eve, and I like to skim over the Samaritan woman in John 4, which I which lines up a little bit with the awesome series you just came out of about amazing women in Scripture. And then I'd like to look back at this passage and see how this can help us as we exit today with living out reconciliation. So I got off the plane, and my cameraman, Zach, said, look, I can see a lot of stuff in Scripture about why this issue started and where this issue originated from, but where did racism start in the Bible? Like, where is that? 
And I think about this a lot. I do a lot of reconciliation talks in Virginia where I'm from. Um, and I said, well, that's easy, bro. Like, the garden. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, let's talk about it. Like, what we're looking at is a fruit, not the root, right? So we look at the garden. We look at Genesis 1 through 3. God before all of creation exists. No time, no beginning, no end, just is. The only being in all of existence that's explanation for why he's here is solely within himself. He is self-sufficient, needs nothing, doesn't need relationships. He's fully contained relationally, eternally dwelling, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's not lonely. He didn't make us because he needed people, right? He's solely all in himself. And as an extension of his artistic creativity, love, makes creation. And then he does that, and then he makes people in his image to enjoy and maintain it. And he says, listen, do anything you want with this beautiful thing I've given to you. Just don't touch that tree over there tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, some people struggle with this because they're like, if God knew they weren't capable to stay away from that, why would he give them a choice? Another one of those questions. I won't even attempt to explain it fully, but I will say this. Um, I've been married to my wife for 13 years, right? We actually met in seventh grade, which is pretty cool, right? Uh, the, the ladies always say, oh, it's not that romantic. She ain't like me till 12th grade, but <laughs> I tell everybody my game was so good. It took me five years to get a number. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but we, you know, we get dated and all that. And so I realized this. When it comes to my wife, the thing that makes love so beautiful is the fact that she doesn't have to love me. She chose to. Right? That's the same thing with your relationship, your best friend, your spouse, whoever you're dating. It's, there's options, but they chose you and you chose them. And that's a beautiful thing. Love is not, love is only love when you have a choice not to love. Right? When there's, you can do anything else in the world, but you're here with me. And God's like, listen, you can do anything you want in this world, do not touch this. I have to give a choice for there to be. God didn't want robots. He wanted children. So he gives them a choice to love. They choose actively to do the one thing God said don't do. And to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, if you do that, you're going to die. Here's the deal. It wasn't when they bit it, they now knew what good and evil was. They already knew. He said, don't do this. That's evil. And they did it anyway. The thing is, they didn't, it wasn't about the choice of the knowledge. It was about the second I do this, I'm taking the ability to choose what I want to do as far as right and wrong on myself. God is no longer God in my life. I get to be God, and I want that. And if you look at Satan's temptation to them, that's 100% what he said. You don't really need God, do you? You can do that. Do you really need him to tell you what to do? They replaced the Father as the source of truth and joy in their life, and they then became the source of truth and joy, something that only God the Father is capable of doing. And here's the thing, they then in that moment became God to themselves. If I'm God, somebody else can't be. Yes? If I'm on a throne, somebody's got to be a subject. I'm going to find a way to push you down to maintain my godness, even if I don't realize it's what I'm doing. So I'm going to find a way to do that with gender, with race, with socioeconomics, with ethnicity. I'm going to, politics, you don't like my party, and then you're, you're, that's because you, I'm going to find a way to put somebody down when I'm God in my life, because it's the only way I can maintain my godship. You got me? So when we talk about what race was, it came from right there, and we're still dealing with it today. When you're looking at it, man, our separation from each other is a fruit. Sin is always at the root. Whenever you can look at somebody and say, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. They're less than me. Fruit. So how did Jesus deal with this reconciliation? I love John 4, man. Like Jesus is just I mean, three years of active ministry, three and a half, depending on your time, flipped the world upside down. 
And he meets this woman, this Samaritan woman. You guys probably know this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the entire 66 books of Scripture. So he does this, right? Little context. The Jews hate the Samaritans. I don't know if you, you, maybe you guys know that. The Jews, like, they didn't deal with the Samaritans at all. Like, they were half-breeds. They had built their own temple to worship. They were just, like, wretched in all the ways you could think about it. In fact, most of the travel, they could, they could have saved a bunch of time by walking through Samaria, but they would take an extra two days to walk around it to not touch the dirty land that they lived on. That's how much they hated them. God's chosen people. That make sense? It's a little off. So Jesus says, hey, we're going to go right through there. That's how, that's how Jesus talks in my Bible. <laughs> Hey, yo, we're going right through there. That's how Jesus. I read from the NIV. That's the Nigel interpreted version. So that's how Jesus talks in my thing. It's, they made a version of the Bible for me. It's great. So Jesus is a single male Jewish rabbi who's about to walk right in the middle of Samaria. He's breaking all the rules. He knew that. He was breaking them so much that his 12 chosen guys who he's going to pass on the keys of the kingdom to, he said, y'all can't handle this right now. Y'all go ahead down the road. Come back in a little bit. Go pick, go pick up some bread. Go to Publix or something. I, I'm going to be right here chilling, right? Y'all got Publix here? Is that it? Okay, I didn't. I tried to think of a restaurant that was, uh, thing that was here, but okay. So anyway, he sends him ahead, and he waits on this woman to show up. So he sits here, and this woman's coming at midday to get water. There's a problem with this, right? If you're going to get water, you're not going to do it at midday when the sun is hot. You're going to do it in the morning when it's the most comfortable. That's when all the other women came. She came alone in the middle of the day because of the lifestyle she's lived is one of shame, and she doesn't, nobody wants to be around her, or she's ashamed to be around others. Either way, Jesus knew he was meeting with the lowest of the low. So the single male Jewish rabbi is meeting with uh, this single female uh, Samaritan woman who's living a repute life. And he thought it was important enough in his messianic schedule to stop and talk to her. And he says, hey, listen, would you give me a drink of water? And she says, well, there's a well right there. Why don't you get it yourself? And Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you'd get it for me. You'd ask me for some water, actually. And I've got water that you'll never thirst from again. And she says, well, give it to me because I'm tired. It's hot. I don't want to keep getting this water. That's how Jesus talks in my mouth. So, um, and, and they get in this whole conversation. He says, well, I'll tell you what. Go grab your husband and come back. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yes, you do. You had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. And then she's like, mind blown that this guy and then she tried, if you read the story, she tries to change the topic. She starts talking about theological things. And she tried to do what we do, start arguing about stuff in the scripture that we really don't care about that much, but we're trying to get out of the conversation. That's what she did. And he's like, listen, um, everything you're trying to talk about is cool. And she's like, listen, when the Messiah comes, he's going to make everything clear. She says, the one you're waiting on is me. And then she's so mind blown that the God of all creation would stop and talk to her. And she runs back to the city where all of her shame and her sadness is. And she says, listen, I know what y'all think about me, but come meet a man that told me everything I ever did. And her, she was so convincing. These people don't want anything to do. She was so convincing that they all left the village and went with her to find out what she was talking about. And then they said, listen, we don't believe because you said it. We believe because we met him now. Jesus made her the first Samaritan evangelist. And the entire village got flipped upside down. And then the disciples come back just oblivious, like, what's going on out here? Right? And Jesus is like, I want y'all to see what reconciliation really looks like. He broke every gender, relational, social, uh, uh, racial, ethnic, and religious barrier. He flipped it all on his head in one moment and said, the kingdom of God smashes all of this stuff. And I want y'all to know this. Here's the cool thing. Peter and John are watching this firsthand, mind blown. A couple years later in Acts, 
after they've seen the resurrection and uh, crucifixion also. A couple years later, Acts says they went through many Samaritan villages and they did the same thing. Jesus said, you're going to do greater works than me. Why? Because he's going to give you the gospel and you have a whole lifetime to do it, not three years. And they went and they did the whole work in Samaria. It's amazing what reconciliation can do. Jesus is fulfilling his main goal. Reconciliation with the Father. Restoring us to uh, the one who is self-sufficient. Reminding us that it's not us. And bringing us in the correct alignment as the created ones, connecting us back to creator God, who was the source of the truth, joy, and hope that we were supposed to have in the first place. Augustine, uh, the great uh, uh, African theologian and saint, says this, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. You probably heard that in a song or two. Um, I'm going to squeeze this in again in this service too. So, there's another story. Prodigals, I like stories. Prodigal son. You guys know it? Luke 15, right? There's a son who decides he no longer wants the father. He wants the father's stuff. So he says, give me my stuff. I'm leaving. And I'm sure the father, heartbroken, gives into that request. Son takes off, squanders everything, lives this horrible, debaucherous life, and then comes back to the father, realizing he screwed everything up. He's like, man, listen, there are servants in my father's house living better than I am right now. All of these momentary pleasures I had, they're all gone now, and I'm left with nothing. Let me go back to my father in shame and defeat and realize I need him. So he walks back with his head down. And the Bible says that the father saw the son coming from afar off. You know what that tells us? Is that the father was sitting on the porch waiting to see his son come over the horizon. You know how beautiful that is? That the father would sit there and just wait for you to maybe turn around? The Bible says the father ran after this. makes me cry. So the father ran after the son, which was a shameful act because that means he had to hike up his robe and expose his legs. And in this culture, men don't do that. But he doesn't care because the son's there. And he does anything he can to get to him, and he runs after him. So he kisses him, and he says, man, bring the, bring, bring the robe. Kill the fatted calf. My son is back. We got to have a party. My son that was lost is now found. That's the, that's the reception that awaits you and I. We experience it in this life by the Spirit and through faith, and then we'll get it one day face-to-face with physical arms of Jesus wrapping around us saying, welcome home. That's what we get. But the beauty of this story is this. You got one son who wasn't religious, who went and did all the non-religious sinner things. You've got another son in the house. The story doesn't stop there. There's another son there who was there doing all the good religious things, doing the service, serving the father, following the rules. His, son, his brother comes back, and he's like, man, what's all that noise in the house? He's like, oh, your brother came back and your dad threw a party. And the religious son gets angry. He says, how could you? The father comes out and says, why aren't you inside? Your brother's back. He's like, I don't care about my brother. You never threw a party for me. I did all the stuff, followed all the rules. All right, went to church every Sunday, sung on the worship team, did the stuff. I went to life group and, and I followed the rules. And he says, listen, it's not about that. It's about the fact that your son was, or your brother that was lost is here. Should I not celebrate that? You have one son who was not religious and fit the bill of the filthy, rotten sinner. You got one son who was religious. If you look at them, both were outside the house and both were separated from the father. One just looked like he was closer. The story is about the father going to the one following the rules and the one breaking the rules saying, you both need reconciliation. If you think you can do this on your own, you're sadly mistaken. It is a gospel message tucked in that story. What should have happened if the son that was in the house was righteous and had the father's heart, 
he would have left and said, Dad, I got to go. I got to go get, get my brother back. And Jesus is saying, I'm the true righteous brother. I left the father's house to come get you back. Right? This is what he's saying here. It's a beautiful moment. Hebrew says, the one who makes us holy and the ones who become holy are both seen in that same value. He is not ashamed to call them brothers. It's not Jesus looks at you and it looks at me. It's mind-blowing. I don't deserve it, but he does it anyway. Reconciliation. Only possible when you return to the father. And God, out of his righteousness, sends his son to make it possible, to pay the sin penalty that I stacked up on my account. He paid that penalty for me, and through faith I've accepted it. So when I go to my judgment day, my court day with the Father that it says all of us have, my case gets thrown out because of lack of evidence because the bill got paid before I showed up. It's a beautiful thing. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. So what do we do with this stuff now? How do we, how do we live? Well, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Uh, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. It is super easy, even sitting in here, to regard Christ from a worldly point of view, right? Um, and what I mean by that is every day, Paul says every day I got to kill my flesh. Like every day we have to remind ourselves. He says remind yourself with spiritual singing and psalms and teaching and admonishing one another. Remind yourselves of the glory and the goodness of who Christ really is, that we see him as who he is and who he said he is. That's the world push him out to be. They'll say he's on the same level as a, a, a Gandhi or a Dr. King. Just another great spiritual teacher. A bunch of great stuff. Not God, but he says some cool things. Not true. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody will make it to the Father except through me. That is an audacious claim to, be, to just be an option. He says you have no other option. And they didn't like that and they killed him for it. Check this out. C.S. Lewis says Jesus left us with three options. Liar, lunatic or Lord. He's either a crazy man, a madman, or a 100% who he said he is. But you got to pick. He didn't leave you an option for anything else. The most important question you or I will ever answer in our life is do I believe Jesus is who he actually said he is, right? When we read the claims of Christ through Middle Eastern eyes, they knew he was claiming divinity because as soon as he said, Oh, no, I was before Abraham. They picked up stones because they were like, no, he's claiming to be God. Kill him. They knew what he was saying. We don't get it sometimes. But once you regard Christ correctly, once you get him right, I have no choice then but to regard you, my brother, you, my sister, correctly. If I see that you're made in the image of the same one that I'm now worshiping, I can't treat you as anything less than the image bearer of God. I don't care what you look like, what you act like, what you believe. I got to start there. And then our relationship will branch out from there. I can't come to you and say, oh, because you vote this way, oh, because you look this way. I, I, I'm not allowed to do that. And when I'm tempted to, it's that root of sin trying to creep back in. I got to crush that and say, Jesus, help me to remember and regard you not from a worldly point of view, so therefore I don't regard my brother and my sister from a worldly point of view. Does that make sense? It's how reconciliation works. It's how we're able to not get caught up in the fray of all this garbage we see on TV and on we. We get to not regard Christ from a worldly point of view, and it changes everything. And then it goes on to say, he reconciled, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. The righteous son left the father's house to come back and get the loss on the father's behalf. This is Jesus waiting by the well for you and me to show up, to pay the penalty so we can enter the house, so that justice and mercy can converge in one place on the hill called Calvary, and so that he can be called our elder brother. He reconciled, we see Christ not in a worldly point of view, 
And then he rec- God the Father uses that to reconcile us to himself through Christ. And then it says in verse 18, and he gave us after that the ministry of reconciliation. So once you and I are reconciled to the Father, he then gives us that same ministry. What's my ministry calling? What's my purpose in life? Right here. He gave you and I the ministry of reconciliation. How does that play out for you? I don't know, but work it out. This is your end goal. And whatever gifts, talents, skills, opportunities, authority, personality type, profile, all that stuff's important. Do all that. All that stuff is to serve this purpose in some way. You don't have to measure it against somebody else. Do what God is calling you to do and don't be afraid of it. Your your purpose is to be an agent of reconciliation on God's behalf. Wow. Lastly, because of that, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're carrying this to everybody in creation. Neighbors, co-workers, friends, family. Sometimes when we forget it, we look in the mirror and give it to ourselves. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The reason why this matters to me and why I can connect with you guys with, with what you're going through, April. I didn't have my father in my life, right? For ages of 5 to 20, he was absent. Drug addiction, stuff like that. And he was in Washington, D.C. I'm in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Three and a half hours away, didn't see my dad for 15 years. And he wrote me a letter at 20 and said, son, I'd like to come see you um, and apologize for the past. So we came down, we had dinner, had a great time. At the end of that dinner, he reached out for a hug and said, would you forgive me? And I pushed him. So don't touch me. Yes? I don't do it. But I can look back and see God working on my heart. Because I was, I was at church, but I wasn't like, I didn't care. I wasn't like listening to the gospel. It was just, that's cool. Don't steal, don't kill. Check, check. Right? But I didn't have any interest in like submitting to Jesus. But I can look back and see him working on my heart even before I cared because God is just that good. And one day, nine months later, I called my dad. I said, hey, man, I'm going to let it go. I forgive you. And I love you. I really want to know what it's like to have a dad in my life. And you can feel the chains fall off this man's shoulders as he says, oh, son, thank you. Um, thank you. Let, let me come see you this weekend. And then, no, no, slow up. It's too much right now. Let's just do the phone thing. Um, what I didn't know was that would actually be our last conversation. Right after that phone call, my dad passed away. Right? So I didn't get to experience the reconciliation. But I look, I look back, that moment took me to my knees, brought me to Christ. And as I grew in Christ, I was able to look back and say, man, reconciliation is that important to you that you would keep him alive for us to have one phone call. I don't know how all these pieces work, but I know you show me what matters. And so I want to stay reconciled to the Father, and I'm always going to be because God said, he, Christ said he can't lose me out of his hand. And my goal is, like, encourage reconciliation with the Father because no matter what your father's situation is, I know some of you guys have that same story, the reconciliation with the Father is what we're all needing. And as April enjoys that reconciled paradigm, she's fully experiencing what one day we fully will. And I pray my father is. I think he is. I'll tell you, tell you that another time. Um, I know that I know that's something I have to look forward to, and I'm glad to spend my life offering that hope to somebody else. I do know that at the end of all of this and the drama that we see, we've got one answer for all of our challenges. It's that we would believe the gospel is the power of God to fix all of this. I'd like to share a piece with you, and then we'll be done. Regardless of what's going on, 
what darkness you see around you in the world or even what you find inside yourself. I've only found one complete solution. It's the power of God. The developer shining light on these dark places and showing us the big picture. If we are his artwork, our best option is to step into his light to understand everything. Jesus said, I've got much more to tell you, but you can't handle it right now. Scripture even promised a day where every thought and deed will be laid bare. That's honestly intimidating. But you know what? I trust the God who's going to do it all. So I know in him, I'll be all right. I know in him, you will be too. I trust the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. salvation is it i wonder if sometimes our place is wasted with it did we mistake his gift of life and the grace that's given and make decisions contrary to his prescriptions rumors of war missiles pointed at nations missing peaceful conversations we prefer to raise our pistols we prefer to raise divisions he tore the wall down we build them up kick against the pricks what an amazing scrimmage in the womb god knit us together in his image but don't believe in his beginning so how it's ending what's the difference since 73, we're about to cross 60 million. Fight for the rights of children, then abort them with it. Look over there, see genocide and ethnic cleansing. Look over here, see racial division. We still don't get it. Look outside, find a place to blame our sickness, blame the atheists, who in turn blames our religious systems. Wonder what we're missing. If there's a God, where is he? Where in all of this is? God's omnipotence here. I can't get a grip here. The only thing that is clear, if there's utopia, then we are not here. The distant echo from heaven is do not fear. Maybe we can fix it. We can go on mission, build safe houses, rescue women, clothe the homeless, feed the hungry, care for those in sickness, visit prisons, serve the poor, orphan, and widowed, build pregnancy centers, be the hands and feet of Jesus, and get politicians who will legislate for that fetus, be the answer for every situation in its worst case, but need to answer why we in this state in the first place. See, all of these are good ideas. I would argue God ideas when we pray this way. I still believe that it's God who hears all these efforts I will cheer. But count them all as lost if we never point man to the fact that God appeared and into the Father, set the stage for Golgotha, and into the Son, who was foretold by the prophets. Exiting heaven, he left behind all of his prophets, existing infinitely on time and inside. Left his riches to walk beside the impoverished. Left his throne for those who worship everything that's not him. For power of God, encapsulated in his construct, the majestic sacrifice for those who would mock him. We turned away from life. And in our sins we got stuck, enslaved in our iniquity. In our chains till we got judged, death barreling towards us. He stepped in front to stop blood, the blood of the divine, the only key that could unlock us. So where's the power of God? 
It's in the eternal vindication of enemies of the God man, given direct by God's hands, full of grace and truth, giving us the way we did not plan. Ending the problem how only my God can see. Here's the bad news. We were removed from his countenance to be separated forever by our sinless mountainous. Eternal life available from the very one who fashioned us. The good news is he stepped in our death to get us out of it. This is so immaculate. Conceive the unconceivable that heaven could reach down to redeem the unredeemable. Could you believe the unbelievable? A poor Jewish man from Nazareth's death and resurrection is the only key for you that he would hit the cross and bleed for you. That he would even be beseech for you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they even mean to do. That he would ascend above it all. He would take the seed of truth. Every Tom will confess to his Lord, and every knee will too and add his name. All of creation takes a pause, and heaven gives a thunderous applause and stares at him in awe, recognizing the supremacy of God, his idea to put his son upon the cross, the creator of it all, would trade his holy son for those who's lost. It's not possible to calculate this cost, and I'd never be ashamed that the power of God will never be in our deeds, but indeed the gospel of God, now gaze at him and Would you pray with me, church? Father, we are immensely grateful that you would step out of eternity into our temporary to offer us what you had when we walked away. That you would pay a price that we racked up and that you would offer it to us freely at the exchange of your own life for ours. And I want to thank you that you love us enough to do that. I want to pray you encourage us to seek you for how you want us to spread that. You've made us ministers of reconciliation in this life, and we want to trust and love you dearly as much as you love us. We're not going to be able to do that, but we want to head in that direction. Give us a passion and a heart for you in Christ's name. Keep your eyes closed for just a moment, please. I just want to make this real quick and simple. If you're in this place and you know for a fact you do not trust Jesus with your life and your soul, I want to ask you, what are you waiting for today? What else do you think you'll find? Let me answer it for you as someone who searched ravenously. You'll find nothing than the sweet salvation of our Savior. He's not the Savior of America or of a church. He is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. I would like to challenge you today to trust him. With your eyes closed, if anybody in here wants to trust Jesus, would you slip your hand up so somebody knows who they're praying for? There are people here who want to wrap you up in life and to be here with you and to walk with you in community. You can't do this alone. If you're here and you want to trust Jesus, you want people to be with you. Lift your hand up real quick. Nobody's looking. It's just you. I see you. Praise God. Father, bless this place with the comfort that you've given others. Please comfort them. And I thank you that you love us enough to make us your own. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Love you guys. Awesome. Was that good? Do you enjoy it? It was good, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
Let's be the body of Christ today. Why don't you greet someone that you've never, maybe never met before today? Go hug them. Go love them. Shake their hand. Ask them about them. Let's be the body of Christ to, to, to one another. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. I'll see you next day. Bye now.